Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. Before we read from Isaiah 9, 1 to 7, I want to set it up and let you have a little bit of historical background because these words to many Christ followers are very familiar. We hear them every year during the Christmas season, but quite often we've never heard what the background and the context of these words are. So before we read them this morning, I want to just uh, take you back uh, about uh, 2,700 years, 2,800 years to the time of Isaiah and what was going on. And I'm going to actually start by taking even further back than that to the time of Abraham. In the days of Abraham, God appointed Abraham to be the the father and the predecessor of a special group of people, the Jews, that were going to be God's specially chosen people in Old Testament times, the people that he would, he, he promised Abraham that he would make them as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the sand on the seashore, and then he promised them that he would settle them in a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and that ultimately the the Messiah, the Savior from sin, would come from one of Abraham's descendants. And that promise went uh, forward through Abraham's descendants, Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. Uh, God allowed uh, the small number of people that was beginning to uh, come out of, of Abraham to be transported into Egypt where they spent 400 years as sort of a, an incubator period for them where they grew and multiplied. Uh, by the time they left Egypt after 400 years, uh, there were more than a million of them. And, uh, and so now it's become this huge nation. God uses Moses to deliver them from the Egyptians. And uh, he does. They wander for the wilderness. I'm going through this very rapidly. I have a point to all of this. They wander through the wilderness for 40 years. And then God uses Joshua to, to uh, fulfill uh, his promise that he made way back to Abraham. 500 years earlier that he would give uh, Abraham's descendants a special place to live. And uh, Joshua uh, crosses the Jordan. The story of Jericho happens there where the walls fall down. That's the first place that that uh, God leads them to. And ultimately, over many uh, years, they begin to conquer the entire land and the land becomes theirs. After a period called the Judges, the uh, children of Israel kind of got tired of not having uh, a, a human king. They sort of looked at all the nations around them and said, they all have kings. Why don't we have a king? And God said, well, I'm your king. You're not, you don't like me being your king. And they said, well, we, we like you being our king, God, but we also want a human king. So ultimately God relented, allowed them to have a king, and he chose for them, the first king he chose for them was a gentleman named Saul. And just as uh, God and Samuel, the prophet, had predicted, Saul did not stay faithful uh, to God, ultimately drifted from his faith and became unfaithful. And so he was replaced by a king named David, probably the greatest king in the entire history of Israel. And after David, there was also another very great king named Solomon, a very wise man who prayed for wisdom, and God granted him that wisdom. And he ruled wisely for many years. After Solomon died, however, there, uh, the next king uh, provoked a civil war. And that's what's important for you to know is because as we're going to read this today, it's a little bit confusing unless you understand that there had been a civil war and the Jews basically split into two nations, the northern kingdom or the northern tribes, which received the name of Israel, retained that name rather, and the southern tribes, which were ruled from Jerusalem uh, and by the descendants of David called Judah. And over history, now as the kingdoms, those two kingdoms were passed from one generation of kings to the next, Israel drifted away from God much more quickly. They began to practice idolatry more quickly. Uh, They did not practice their faith in God. They weren't faithful to him. And much of that had to do with the fact that their king, ruling from a town in the northern tribes called Samaria, uh, their kings were not faithful to God. So their leadership was not very spiritual leadership. On the other hand, the kings of Judah 
uh, tended to be over time more faithful to God, uh, follow God, trust God. And therefore, Judah stayed as a nation a little bit more faithful to God until uh, several of the kings of Judah also began to imitate their cousins in the northern tribes. And one of those was a king by the name of Ahaz who, if you read the account of his rule in Second Chronicles and Second Kings, there's an entire chapter in each of those books about the rule of Ahaz, you will find that he was not faithful to God either and began to practice idolatry and do all kinds of detestable things and ultimately began to lead the people away from God because he just didn't trust in God and he was not a good spiritual leader. We are going to meet Ahaz today as we read through the book of Isaiah because Isaiah the prophet, 700 years before Christ, is coming to confront Ahaz. And the reason he's coming to confront Ahaz is Ahaz is in a bucket of trouble. What's happened is that um, the king of Israel, the northern tribes, has formed an alliance with the king of Aram, what we would know as modern-day Syria. Same capital city. Aram's capital city was Damascus, just like Damascus is the capital of Syria today. And, and so Israel and Aram have created an alliance, and they're, they're besieging Jerusalem, where Ahaz is the king over the tribes of Judah. And so Ahaz feels like two big bullies are surrounding him. And he doesn't know what to do. So God sends Isaiah to him and he says, he tells Isaiah to tell Ahaz, don't worry, Ahaz. I've got it. I've got it under control. I'm the king. I'm the creator. Just walk with me. Trust me. Rely on me. It's going to be okay. Well, I've already told you about Ahaz. Uh, he hears those words of Isaiah, but they go in one ear and out the other. And what he ends up doing is appealing to a bigger bully on the block, um, a, a guy named Tiglath-Pileser, who was the emperor of a major empire uh, called Assyria. So that's different from Syria. This is Assyria, and they are huge. They're expanding. They're powerful, and they are extremely mean. And uh, when I say mean, I mean mean. Um, and so he appeals to them, and God is completely unhappy with that because to God, that's like saying, that's like Ahaz saying, <laughs> well, I don't trust you, God. I'd rather have Tiglath-Pileser on my team. And so what you're going to hear this morning is the words of Isaiah as he's trying to convince Ahaz, look, um, we know that all these wars are constantly going on. We know that you feel pressured. You feel surrounded. And surrounded is going to be a theme this morning. Have you ever felt surrounded by people that you felt maybe were your enemies or maybe not people, maybe just circumstances and felt pressured and felt worried and anxious and like, how am I ever going to to get out of this? Maybe some of you when you were younger faced actual bullies and went through that situation. You still have that memory in your mind of, wow, What's going to happen here? And you felt, and what happens? Here's what I want you to ask yourself. What reaction is the most natural reaction when you feel surrounded by people or circumstances that are against you and all of a sudden your life doesn't feel in control and you're afraid? The very first response of most of us is to do something to try to get our control back, to try to take a step to restore, restore our position so we feel we have some control. And that's exactly what Ahaz is doing. He, he's afraid. He's surrounded by these bullies. And by the way, if you read those two chapters from Second Chronicles and Second Kings, these two are only two of many others that have surrounded and attacked Judah. So he's got many others as well around him. And he's trying to figure out how can he restore some sense of control in the midst of his fear because he feels surrounded. So let's read these words from Isaiah chapter 9. And this is Isaiah saying, look, I know it looks gloomy. I know it looks dark, but listen to God. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. 
In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. You have shattered those. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So I grew up in Sunny Slope. I don't know how many of you spend much time in Sunny Slope. Back in my day when I was growing up, it was a, it was a tough area. And, uh, and so uh, going to public school, I, I moved into the Sunny Slope area when I was in uh, sixth grade. Um, it was not uncommon for us to get ourselves involved in little tiffs now and then, uh, little fights. There were plenty of kids who wanted to, uh, to bully. And as I was listening to this story and trying to imagine, how did Ahaz feel surrounded by these two guys, uh, these two kings, two big guys on the block that wanted to push him around and bully him? It, it took me back to two things that happened to me. One, when I was a sixth grader and I had just moved to Sunny Slope. And the other when I was a sophomore in high school. And, you know, I, I kind of hate to admit this, but I, I was not a Christ follower in those days. And so sometimes I was a little bit of a jerk and I would tend to provoke fights. That's just the way it was. I've grown a lot since then. Do you believe that? Um, and I remember the, the I was just there. Uh, we had moved to Sunny Slope mid-year and I was. And I walked off that school bus and all of a sudden there were four or five kids standing in front of me and they started pushing me. And uh, I felt the feeling that I think Ahaz probably felt as he had those guys besieging the walls of Jerusalem. And maybe some of you have been there where you're in that moment where you realize something is about to happen here. And there's a, there's a response that all of us, you've heard of it before. When you're in that moment of tension, there's a, a natural response. It's either you're going to fight or you're going to flee, right? Well, I, I fled, very fast, as fast as I could. I ran and ran. I would have been a gold medalist had uh, anybody been timing me that day. I ran so fast. And then there was a ravine uh, by my house, and those guys were following me. Like, they followed me for a good quarter mile. And I went down into that ravine, and I wound around in there until they couldn't find me and then popped back up over by my house. And, uh Yeah. God helped me that day, even though I wasn't even a, a believer at that time. But I had some really good friends that I was making at that time, Tim and Robbie. And uh, both of them were great athletes. Robbie went on to be uh, a champion high school wrestler. Tim was a very good baseball player. In fact, he played some uh, semi-pro baseball in his day. And when I told them what happened, um, my buddy Tim said, you know, that's not going to happen to us anymore. Because it had been happening to them a little bit too. And, and so uh, we went down on 7th Street. And, and back in the day, there was a, there was a gym uh, Max's gym, and uh, we took boxing lessons. Max had been a trainer, actually, for some professional boxers. And so we made this pact with each other, the three of us buddies, that we were never going to back down from another fight. We, uh, we were going to stand toe-to-toe with whoever, and if we got the snot beat out of us, so be it. But we were going to fight back. We weren't going to run. So 
Fast forward four years, I'm in high school. Uh, things have simmered down a little bit. I'm becoming uh, a Christian by the time I'm in high school, so I'm becoming a little bit more peaceful. I, uh, I actually did still have some fights uh, my junior and senior year. I transferred to a, a Christian school. It was much better, but I was, I was still growing. I was still growing. And, and uh, so in the sophomore year, these kids, once again, just just like Ahaz, they surrounded me. They had been bugging me, and my friend and I were riding uh, our bikes to school. And they started shouting insults at me across the parking lot. And I realized, I realized that this was not going to end, that they were going to continue to try to push and provoke unless we settled the matter. So I got off my bike, and there they were in front of me, and we had it out. And fortunately, in, on that day, I prevailed. And uh, the news got around school, and uh, I was uh, considered the school hero for exactly one day until the next uh, big thing came along at Sunny Slope High School. Um, the reason I'm telling you these two stories is, on the one occasion, I ran. I fled. On the other occasion, I fought. But there was one thing very similar on both of those occasions, and that was that moment where you are standing there and you uh, are surrounded and you are afraid. I still felt that my sophomore year in high school, even though I had trained myself and my buddies had, we had trained ourselves together. Okay, now we know how to do this. We know how to fight. And, um, and I, I felt more ready, but I was still afraid. And, and in that moment, that feeling that I mentioned earlier of wanting to do something to regain control, like life in that fearful moment is not in control. And I want you to, to think this morning about circumstances in your life that are making you feel surrounded, that are making you feel that fear, that anxiety in your life, that maybe it's not people. Maybe you don't have actual physical bullies or gang members pushing you around, or maybe you do. But maybe it's circumstances. Maybe it's your economic, your financial circumstances. Maybe it's your health. Whatever it might be that's, that's put you in that moment that I experienced in both of those fights, where you're like, what's going to happen here? I'm very afraid, and I don't feel in control And I must do something to regain my sense of control. That's what Ahaz was going through. And and what Isaiah was telling him, was trying to tell him, is Ahaz, you are not as out of control as you think because you are under God's control. He is the king and the creator of the entire universe, and he has promised to send a son who will be the child king to rule ever, over everything for the good of God's people. He's going to be a wonderful counselor, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And his rule in our lives is never going to end, and it's going to just be filled with peace and joy. And you just need to know Ahaz that you can lean on him. You can trust him. Even though physically he's not going to even be here yet for 700 years, he's very much alive. And, and your father wants you to trust him as the king, the one who is in control of your life. And God would still say the same thing to you and me today, 2,000 years um, after the fulfillment where this child king has been born. His name is Jesus Christ. And all those descriptors, Jesus proved them out by his life, his death, his resurrection. And Isaiah would, if he were alive today, come to us as a prophet and say, wherever you're feeling out of control in your life, you're walking with Jesus. And and he is the king. And this is the beauty of the Christmas message. The, the reason why, even though some people might look at Jesus and go, how can you say he's all that? We who believe in Jesus know that he is truly, although undercover, he is all that. True man became true God to become a true king, 
to rule and reign and, and be the, the loving control in our lives. However, however, just like Ahaz, what I believe is true today still is that too many of us are not living as though we have that king in control of our lives. Instead, we're living our lives in gloom and distress as if Jesus never were born. And, and when we live our lives filled with gloom and distress and worry and anxiety, and, and basically what we're doing is we're staying in that moment where perpetually we're, we're having that feeling that we're surrounded. There are big bullies all around me, and that feeling of anxiety and worry just sits there permanently. And when anxiety sits there permanently on your heart, guess where you're going to go? You're going to end up depressed. Because if you don't replace anxiety and fear with faith, and remember, that's exactly how Jesus paints it. When he's with his disciples, every time they were afraid of something, what did he always say? He said, oh, you of little faith. Right? If we don't replace fear with faith, then ultimately that's going to end up, as it did with Ahaz, in gloom and distress. And in our gloom and distress and in our anxiety and fear, we're going to make foolish decisions like Ahaz did. And we're going to go looking for other solutions to our problems without taking the time to first come to God, to ask for his guidance, his wisdom, his love, his power at work in our lives. Now hear me on this. I'm not saying that it is wrong to take steps and try to find solutions to the problems in your life. I'm not saying it's right to just sit back and go, God, I'm going to fold my arms and wait for you to do it all. Because clearly God says that he wants us to act, but he wants us to act in faith. And before we act and, and create our own solutions, uh, get our own uh, allies, quote unquote, to come and help us, get our own tiglath Pileser to bail us out, God says, first look to me, first ask me, come to me in faith, I'll give you wisdom, I'll give you love, I'll give you power. And that's what Isaiah is really telling all of us. Look at what it says at the very bottom. I put Isaiah 8, 11 to 13. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me. It's like the Lord's my dad and his, his strong hand is on my shoulder as he's talking to me. He's got me close and he says, don't follow the way of this people. They're idolatrous. They're constantly driven by fear and anxiety. They, they panic in, in a situation. And what do they do? They think everything's a conspiracy, right? Now, do you watch CNN? Do you watch Fox News? Because if you do, you hear a lot of conspiracy theories. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. Clearly, back in Isaiah's day, CNN and Fox News were there spreading their conspiracy reports, right? And the people were believing them. Oh, we have so much to fret about, so much to worry about. Nobody's in control. Politically, we're not good. There's war, rumors of war. Man, who could be happy in this situation? The economy stinks, right? Happened back in Isaiah's day. Do not call conspiracy everything that this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. You want to fear somebody? You want to be afraid? Who should you be afraid of? God. Because he's a holy God and you're a sinner. And as a sinner, what do you deserve from a holy God? We deserve his anger. We de deserve his punishment. We deserve to be eternally separated from him because we are sinners. So if you want to be afraid of something... There's something real to be afraid of. Remember when, you're, when your mom and dad used to say to you when you were crying? Stop crying. Otherwise, I'm going to have to give you something real to cry about. Remember that? 
right? That's what God is saying here. Stop being afraid. Otherwise, I'm going to give you something real to be afraid about. Okay? And that would be me. Because I'm holy and you're not. Right? And basically what he's also saying is, you listen to all these conspiracy theories, you're, you're constantly hearing all these things, and you're respecting those reports, that news, letting it create fear and disturbance in your heart. Respect me and my loving promises and my, my, my telling you that you're my people and I'm going to guard and protect and help you. Ahaz, Ahaz, listen, I'm here for you. The creator, the king, the God of the universe. Don't live in gloom and distress. And here's the thing. We're, we're, we're constantly fighting a spiritual battle. Just like back in his day, Ahaz was constantly fighting physical battles. In fact, there's an Old Testament saying that goes like this. In the springtime when the kings went out to war. So back in Ahaz's day, war was like the baseball season. They just went out every year and they fought wars, right? And so there, there, that was just constant. It's the way it was. And that's the way it is for us with our enemies, Satan, the world, our own sinful flesh, death. It is constant. And because Satan, just like any enemy general, wants to win, he's constantly spreading lies and misinformation. He's, he's telling us stuff to discourage us, which, which is what the enemy will do. And so part of the reason, the biggest, most common reason for gloom in our lives is flat out, we're listening to the enemy general's propaganda and misinformation. And so what does Isaiah say? Isaiah 8, 20 to 22. People, he says, instead of listening to all that garbage, consult God's instruction. And the testimony of warning, if, if anyone does not speak according to this word right here in my hand, they have no light of dawn, distressed and hungry. They will roam through the land when they are famished. They will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter Darkness. What is he saying? If you don't read the word and listen to the gospel and hear about Jesus and walk with Jesus, ultimately you're going to become famished. You're going to become angry. And then you're going to only see distress and gloom. Right? You've probably um, heard of SAD, seasonal affective disorder. You know what that is, where, where uh, during the winter, a lot of people just get sad and depressed because there's not enough light. And they've determined that if you put more light on that person, that will often uh, cure that seasonal affective disorder. Well, what Isaiah is saying is there's another kind of sad that we need to be aware of, spiritual affective disorder. And that if you don't bask in the light of God's word, and if you don't bask in Jesus, who is the light of the world, you are going to eventually see only gloom and distress. You will have spiritual affective disorder. And you'll become gloomy all the time because just the progression that he says here, you're spiritually famished. Ultimately, you get angry, even angry with God. That anger leads to depression. And you become Eeyore all the time. When I, when I was, uh, when my kids were younger, we used to love to read with them when they were very small. I, I love Winnie the Pooh because I think Eeyore was one of my favorite char- uh, characters. And uh, here, I want to just listen to Eeyore and see if any of this sounds familiar. Eeyore said uh, in one of the books... I think it was the House of Pooh Corner. I'm not sure. But he says, just when you think no one has taken any notice of your birthday, here come two friends with an empty honeypot and a broken balloon. 
Aww. Exactly. An empty honey pot and a broken balloon on your birthday. But that's how he looked at things. Like, oh yeah, somebody remember my birthday. Kinda. There's a book called Eeyore's Gloomy Little Instruction Book. Here's his advice. If you're ever stuck in the river, it's best to dive and swim to the bank yourself before someone drops a large stone on your chest in an attempt to keep you there and sink you. (laughs) I like that. Even when he's trying to be positive. One more. It's snowing still, said Eeyore gloomily. And Pooh says, so it is. And freezing. Is it? Pooh said. Yes, said Eeyore. However, he said, brightening up a little bit, we haven't had an earthquake lately. (laughs) Man, I can be an Eeyore with the best of them sometimes, right? Because I've got spiritual affective disorder. I'm not basking in the light of Jesus and the light of, of God's word. And then I let anger and frustration take over. I feel frightened because I feel surrounded by circumstances and people in my life. And then pretty soon I find myself even angry with God. And then I'm gloomy and I can only see darkness. What Isaiah said to Ahaz is important for you and me to hear. Get back to the light right here. Get back to the the word of God. Because if you don't, you're going to start to believe the enemy's propaganda. So let's talk about a little bit of that propaganda. First of all, the enemy wants you to believe that your troubles will never end. Do you ever feel that way? You ever feel like, man, there's no escape from this. That, that, when you get, even if you get out of this particular situation that you're in, something will come along and, and it's just going to always be this way. And I just have to live with it. And man, life stinks and it's always going to stink. And, and when you start to feel that way and you get into that E or situation where troubles never end, we have to take comfort in the certainty that they will end at some point according to God's plan. You see, that's what Isaiah is trying to say. Go back, go back to Isaiah 9, verse 1. Look, what's he trying to say to Ahaz? Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Ahaz, a time is coming. And if you'll just rely on that and wait for God's timing. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. What, what that's a reference to is that's Galilee the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Galilee was a place where it had a road called the Way by the Sea. You can see the name of the road where all the enemy troops used to transport. And and it was often the place where big battles were fought. There was a hill there where it was more common to fight on that hill than anywhere else. Uh, and, And guess what that hill was called? It was called Har Megiddo. And if I say that real fast, you probably recognize a different word, Har Megiddo. Do, do you hear the word Armageddon in that? You see, in the, in the book of Revelation, the apostle John uses Armageddon as a symbol of a, a place of great battle and fighting. And, and what Isaiah is saying is we fought so many battles on that piece of ground. We've, we've bled so much blood on that ground, lost so many lives. And it's a place of gloom and distress. We all get that, but, but it's not always going to be that way. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. That's going to be the place Isaiah is telling us without really saying it specifically. And we know this now because we know the history of Jesus. It's going to be the place where the Messiah will grow up. Because guess where the the town of Nazareth was? Right there, right in the middle of Galilee. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And that's how it got to be no longer a place of gloom and distress and and fighting, but a a place of peace and joy place where our savior jesus christ grew up darkness gets turned into light and that's the way god wants it in our lives too verse two the people walking in darkness have seen a great light 
There's no need for spiritual affective disorder because you have light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Your troubles are not going to last forever, God is saying. The second lie that Satan loves to tell us is that the light at the end of the tunnel is a locomotive. Hmm. You ever feel that way? You see what Jesus says there in John 14, 27, right above there? He says, I don't want you to constantly feel like your troubles are never going to end. And one small trouble is just going to be replaced by an even bigger problem. Because I want you to have peace. I leave you peace, Jesus told his disciples. My peace I give you. And I, I don't give to you like the world gives peace, which is very transitory and short-lived and doesn't really get to the core of peace. I leave you, leave you real peace. So, because I am your king and because I rule, don't be like Ahaz. Come to me and don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. The light at the end of the tunnel is not a locomotive. The light at the end of the tunnel is Jesus, and he wants you to step toward that light. You see what he says in John 12, 36? He says, if I am the light, and he tells his disciples, I am the light of the world, do you know what I want you to do with that information? And then Jesus says to them, here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to believe it. Trust it. And and when you're like Ahaz surrounded and you feel anxious and out of control, walk toward the light, Jesus Christ. The one who gives you light because he loves you. There's, There's nothing more lightning and unburdening to a person's heart to know that there is an unfailing, proactive, unconditional love for them. Because you know and I know that in this life, a lot of people that we hang out with, sometimes people that we've even considered our closest friends, our family members, sometimes their love is pretty shaky. And when they pull that rug of love out from underneath you, you will feel very betrayed and in a very dark place. So will I. Unless we have a permanent light that's always on whose love is always there for us, whose love is displayed by things like, I'll go all the way to the cross for you. I'll see to it that every last one of your sins is forgiven. You will no longer be called sinner. You'll be called saint. You'll no longer have to worry about death and depression and all those kinds. You won't have to worry about hell anymore because I'm going to take care of all of that. That's why I'm the light. Because I chase away everything that might produce gloom and distress and darkness in your light. And I want you to believe that, Jesus says. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Here's the last piece of propaganda. Sometimes if you're going through stuff long enough, you start to say, does God really care? And, and then you take it a step further and you answer your own question. No, he doesn't. God doesn't care about me. He, you know, he says he does. And we start believing, we, we, we believe what Thomas Jefferson believed about God. Thomas Jefferson taught the watchmaker God. He, he taught that God was there at the creation. He wound it all up. And, um, and then he kind of stepped back. He left the watch on the table and he stepped back. And now he wound it up. He got it started, all the parts in the right place. And the world just kind of runs on its own from what God did originally. That was Thomas Jefferson. And we, we can kind of have uh, a, a more belief in Thomas Jefferson God than we do in a Bible God. And, and we start to say, man, if God really cared for me, wouldn't he be more involved in my life? Wouldn't he see what I'm going through? Wouldn't he? Wouldn't he? Help me when I'm worried about these things. And guess what Jesus, in fact, does say? I am there. Believe it. I am intimately. I know the number of hairs on your head. Even if you did comb your hair this morning and some of them came out, I still know the number. I know exactly how many there are. And if God, 
your father loves sparrows who fly around and there's bazillions of them and feeds them every day? And if God gives clothing to flowers that one day are here and the next day someone mows them over with a lawnmower, doesn't he care about you all the more? Jesus says, God is no watchmaker, God. He's involved intimately in every detail of your life. He knows you inside out and he cares about you. Even the disciples struggled with this, didn't they? Remember when they were in that boat in the Sea of Galilee and this huge storm came up? And what's Jesus doing during the storm? Who knows how he did this? Maybe this is really evidence that he's the son of God because it sounds like it was kind of a miracle. God could only do this thing. He was asleep on a mat in the boat, completely unconcerned about this massive squall on the Sea of Galilee. And what do the disciples ask him? Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. By the way, have you ever been in the back of a van when it's going over bumps? Let me tell you, if you are in the back, prepare your neck and the top of your head. Okay? Jesus was in the stern, sleeping. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? And that's the question that we sometimes have. And Jesus says, I know the number of hairs on your head. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. You are much more valuable to your heavenly father than they. And here's the truth. This is what Isaiah is finally saying. Ahaz, it's all going to change if you will just believe You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Verse 3, they rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. Ahaz, if you will just trust, it will get so good that it's going to be like you've made this major effort. You've, You've spent months planting, weeding, cultivating, and now it's harvest time. It's good. All your work has come to fruition. It's going to be like... You fought and fought and fought and fought, and now you finally won. You get to divide the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, that's a reference to when Gideon was told, look, just keep subtracting thousands of men from your army. And he's facing Midian that has tens of thousands of men. And God finally says, just take 300 men, Gideon, and go against these guys. And I, the king of the universe, will cause them to be defeated. Now, can you imagine being Gideon in that? Right? Like me with 300, them with tens of thousands. Let's count the odds on that. But guess what happened? The Midianites were defeated. All right? And Isaiah says, it's going to be just like that day again. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. That's what Jesus has done for us spiritually. He has defeated Satan, sin, death. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. We don't have to keep fighting battles. We can take off our warrior clothes. They're not needed anymore. They're destined for the fire. Why? What a beautiful verse this is. For to us a child is given. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I will send the Savior. I will deliver the Messiah as I have promised. And he is going to be amazing. A child king, the government, the control of the entire world, the entire universe will rest on his shoulders. You don't have to worry about regaining control in your life because he's governing it all for your benefit. And he's going to be called wonderful counselor. That's a term that was used for kings like Solomon that the entire world came to and go, please share a little bit, just a little bit of your wisdom with us. 
Jesus will surpass Solomon in his wisdom. Mighty God, true man will also be true God. Mighty. Everlasting father. Now, don't confuse the people, persons of the Trinity. Isaiah's not confusing the persons of the Trinity. When, when Jesus fulfills this, he is not the father. What this is talking about is the role that he will play. He will fill a father's role. He will do what a father does. And what does a father do? He provides and he protects. And that's exactly what Jesus will do for you. He will be the Prince of Peace. So write this down. The truth is that we have an amazing king, a child king, promised through Isaiah, fulfilled in Jesus, who has replaced gloom with peace and joy. And therefore, there's no room for us to be anxious, afraid, distressed, or gloomy, because instead... We are to replace all of that with the joy that Isaiah talks about, with worship. Fear is replaced with confidence. Sadness and gloom are replaced with worship and singing, like at the time of harvest, like at the time of plunder. And look at this promise. Jesus' government and peace will Increase and it will never stop increasing. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So I want to close with just this story because I think this beautifully illustrates where God wants our hearts and minds to be as we look to him, as we look to Jesus to be our king and to be in control of our lives. Anybody heard the name General Chesty Puller before? All right. 14 personal decorations in combat, five Navy crosses, a Purple Heart, a long list of campaign medals, unit citation ribbons, and other awards. Chesty Puller uh, fought in the U.S. Marines from shortly before the Second World War until past the Korean War. He served in the Marines for 40 years. Uh, It spanned four decades, rather. He led Marines in 19 campaigns in some of the most critical battles of the 20th century, including the Battle of Inchon and the Battle of Chosin Reservoir. At the Battle of Chosin Reservoir, Puller and his men found themselves holed up in the town. This is why this story stuck out to me. In this battle of choice in reservoir, Chesty Puller found himself and his men completely surrounded. We've talked a lot about being surrounded today. By 10 full divisions of Chinese infantry hell bent on killing every American they could find. Heavily outnumbered and fighting in sub-zero temperatures, Puller's troops managed to break the enemy lines, smash through seven enemy divisions, and then stayed behind as a rear guard bearing the brunt of the Chinese onslaught so that the rest of the Marines could complete their retreat. However, and this will tell you something about Chesty Puller, he refused to term it a retreat. He called it attacking in a different direction. I like that. The first Marines withstood fierce attacks by literally hordes of enemy soldiers, but held their position, inflicted tremendous numbers of casualties on the enemy, and managed to provide enough time for the Allies to evacuate not only all their wounded men, but also all their salvageable equipment. Sheer bravery in the face of intense fire and seemingly in a windless situation earned Chesty Puller his fifth Navy cross, which was an unprecedented accomplishment that has never been equaled. Literally, he is the most decorated U.S. Marine before or since. Even now, no one has matched him in the number of medals and decorations that he has won for his bravery and his acts. Here's the reason for this story. It's, it's rumored... The, the statement we know is true, but it's rumored that this battle where he was surrounded at Choice and Reservoir is the context and the time for when he made this statement. They're on our left. They're on our right. They're in front of us. They're behind us. This simplifies the problem. They can't get away this time. 
Do you feel that? Because you should. If Jesus is your king, the promised child king has come. He's fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. He rules in your life. No matter what circumstances, people, situations are surrounding you, they're on your front, they're on your back, they're on your right, they're on your left. For you walking with Jesus, it simplifies the problem. They can't get away this time. And I hope that you're right there where General Chesty Puller was, and all the more so, because I, I don't know what motivated his optimism and his confidence. But you and me, we know it is this child king named Jesus Christ who went all the way to the cross to win the forgiveness of our sins, who defeated even the enemy called death by rising from the grave, and who says to you and me every day, I'm there for you, I'm interceding for you, I'm your king, and I rule the world and the universe for you because I love you. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the forgiveness of sins that you've won for each of us. And Lord, thank you for going all the way to the cross for us. Thank you for defeating even death by your resurrection. Lord Jesus, help us to avoid the mistake that Ahaz made. Help us to see and learn from Ahaz's mistake that we can trust in you. And while it's hard to be patient and sometimes to to wait, and while we're afraid and anxious and even depressed and gloomy, we sometimes do foolish things. And for that, we repent. But Lord, take us away from all that and lead us back to Jesus for his forgiveness and grace, but also for his courage and his strength and knowing that he truly is the child king who rules all things for our benefit. And Lord, help us to constantly ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts to always look to Jesus as the king of the world and as the king, the one who rules in our own hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.